is what the war in Vietnam is all about. Communism was on the march. I knew that when I went to Vietnam, I was going to be killed. Never have men served with greater devotion. Explain Vietnam. I can't do it. This is Veterans Voices, Memories and Stories of Minnesota's Vietnam Veterans. I'm Kevin Berger. My name is Ron Easton. I was with the 5th of the 42nd Artillery. I was 19 years old. Thought I was invincible. You really couldn't tell me a damn thing. I was the bomb, as the kids call it now. Ron Easton still has a little bit of a swagger, but I think he would be the first to say his swagger was shattered pretty quickly once he got to Vietnam. He thought he knew about racism, fighting, physical challenges, but many years later, when he reflects on that, he admits he was unprepared when he joined the infantry. My job as an armorer was to supply and maintain weapons around your encampment. Um, So I would put out M60 uh, machine guns, M79 grenade launchers, anything that was required to maintain security. The country of Vietnam and the people of Vietnam have a quick way of teaching you a lesson, especially uh, the VC. These are people who have been at war for generations. They fought the French, they fought the Portuguese, they fought us. And you really can't go into a man's backyard and expect to win. From our base camp, you could see the planes leaving Benoit and the C-131s, and you knew that they were loaded with dead brothers and sisters. Um, it, it, It has made me appreciate life a lot more. Were you afraid when you were there? Scared to death. Fear is healthy. Fear tells you, don't be stupid. Be smart. You know, um, fear motivates you to want to live. But more than that, fear motivates you to make sure that you don't make a mistake that I will cost you or your team their life. So, yeah, I was scared to death. I mean, did you have to deal with combat? What were uh, some of those experiences that I'm sure must be very troubling for a a teenager? Yeah, I I saw dead people. Honestly, Kevin, at this point, I've worked almost a lifetime to forget or to put it where it belongs. Um, War you're going to see death, and a lot of it. You're going to see um, the ugliest side of man that you would ever want to see, one man trying to kill another. And, and how, how long were you in country, and what was uh, what are some of your memories of that time? I wasn't in country for a full tour because of the fact that one night we, we got kind of rocked out of our bunks, and I ran outside, and I was running to my position where I was supposed to be, and I fell in a ditch, and I cracked my kneecap. So to this day, I don't have a left kneecap. So I was in country a little over two months. Yeah. 
and then came back through the Army hospital uh, system. I went to Japan, and then I went to Ireland Army Hospital for knee surgery. And basically what they did is they removed the fragments. And, and at that point, I had a choice whether I wanted to have a plastic kneecap put back in or nothing at all. So to this day, I have nothing at all. Um, it, and it's, it's flat. I mean, it's, 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 um, I look at it every day. I see it every day. Do you feel that you were kind of lucky that you fell in that ditch that, that night? <laughs> um, then, no. Now, oh, hell yes. I was blessed. Um, because just in the period of time that I had, that I, that I was there, um, some of the fire bases that we set up would, you know, would get hit. You'd get RPGs, which are rocket pro propelled grenades, and you would get rounds into the camp. And it's, you take chaos and you multiply it times a hundred. And that's how you feel. People around you are in a state of action. They're in a state of fighting back, surviving. If the VC didn't get you, the country would because it was hot. Um, during the monsoon season, you just could not stay dry. Everything that you had on was wet. If that didn't get you, the snakes would. If that didn't get you, the drugs would. Tell me about the drugs. <laughs> um, I didn't smoke marijuana until I got to Vietnam. I was an athlete before that, and you could actually buy a pack of cigarettes, or what seemed to be a pack of cigarettes, that were hermetically sealed, but they were pre-rolled joints, mm -hmm. and you could get that for like two bucks. So guys would smoke weed, you know, on stand down when you come in. Some guys would smoke it in the field, um, but heroin was easily attainable. So a lot of guys came home with a, with a heroin addiction. Some guys didn't make it home at all because of that addiction. Some guys died in Saigon from overdoses of heroin. So it it created kind of a generation of addicts, if if you will. And why were people so um, you know seeking to self medicate in that way? Escape. Escape. It's kind of difficult to face reality when you're really high. In your mind, when you're high, everything is okay, even though you're in Vietnam. And there was a saying that a lot of soldiers uh, subscribe to, it, it don't mean nothing. Anything that happened around you, it don't mean nothing. As long as you are alive, it don't mean nothing. To this day, I still subscribe to that. Is that healthy, do you think, to, to be able to detach so much? I mean, it's a survival mechanism. It's worked for me. It has, it has protected me in, in a lot of ways, and, you know, from heartache, from disappointment. I've learned that you really can't put 100% faith in, in a lot of people because you're going to be disappointed. And if you're disappointed easily... You just can't do it. You, it's, it takes a little bit from you each time you, you, you get slapped like that. And uh, how about when you came home, some of these uh, escapism? Did, is that something that you brought back with you? Oh, God, yes. 
When I came home, I, I thought I was all grown up, as they say. I came back and I got married. My marriage lasted four years because within that period of time, I changed probably three times as far as my personality. I drank, I cheated, you know, I ran around because I didn't, I didn't really want to form a bond, but at the same time I did because I thought this is what's going to put me on a stable road to uh, becoming the man I'm supposed to be. It didn't. And I found that I, for each lady that I cheated with, and there were many, it just seemed to kind of shore me up. Uh, it made me feel better about myself, even though it was killing my wife. Broke her heart. My daughter, who is 45 years old now, still carries that scar and remembers uh, when Dad took off. Not a good idea. And you blame some of that on just kind of the, the fallout of uh, your service? It was... I blame it on me being a boy instead of a man. I was under the uh, impression that because I had... I was in the military, I'd been to war, that I was a man. You couldn't tell me anything. I, there was nothing more for me to learn. Oh my God, was that stupid. That was so stupid. Today, Ron holds himself responsible for being that know-it-all, immature, really just out of his teenage years when he came home from the war. But he was certainly not alone. Uh, there's been some research on what happened to the veterans who came back from Vietnam. And a lot of those marriages or relationships really paid a high price for that service. The VA's kept track. And it found that 40% of marriages failed within six months of the veterans' return home. And that the divorce rate among Vietnam vets is much higher than the general population. Did you experience racism at all during your service? Kevin, I've experienced racism my entire life. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee in 1949. I vividly remember marked fountains, white and colored only. I vividly remember having to ride in the back of the bus. I vividly remember going to a movie theater and you couldn't sit downstairs because that's where white folks sat. You had to sit upstairs. In Vietnam, there was a ton of racism, which I never really understood. We had, quote unquote, a common enemy. He was greasing our at every opportunity that he could. But then you come in, and you have the old boys from the South, but you had, you had the rednecks, and, and you had the brothers, and for, <laughs> for, for black men in different units, each unit had what they called DAP, which is kind of a handshake. And, and they were quite lengthy and involved, and each unit had different depths. So there was, there was segregation right in Vietnam, and as far as I was concerned, the only color there was green, but some people just would not allow that. We had a first sergeant 
Uh, his name escapes me, although I remember he was from Idabina, Mississippi. I had never heard of that mm-hmm. town before. Mm-hmm. He had a propensity for trying to get black men killed by sending them out on the road after dark when you knew damn well that Charlie was out there looking for you. And he said, well, I need this run over here. No, we don't do that. So um, I remember um, somebody talking about bragging him which was waiting until he was asleep and then throw a grenade in his hooch. It never happened, thank God. As much as I hated him uh, and wanted to do it myself, it didn't happen. I would, If I had done that, I would have felt pretty sh- um, So I'm glad it didn't happen. He went home, I went home, cool. I never had to see his ass again. Wow. Literally sent black men on the most dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, you take a look at, at the, the Vietnam War as a whole. Um, a lot of uneducated, you know, brothers from down south, that was their way out of the south. You know, you figure you go, you're in, you, you are in the army, you are a soldier, you, you think you are going to get respect because you are a soldier. No, no, you don't. Um, for some reason... The color of the uniform could not override the color of skin. And that was ugly to come home to. You figure you had been in Vietnam, you earned respect, you did your job, and you come home and people still want to call you a boy? Hmm. No. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it hurt. It did hurt. And as a result, it made me want to hurt back. I fought. I. I, at that time, I was young, um, and if you looked at me cross-eyed, I'd slap the dog shit out of you. <laughs> I would, and I, I'm just putting it the way it is, because I was angry. I was so angry. So one of the things you told me is that you have been to the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about why that has a particular pull for you. Um, my, 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 my core reason is there are two guys that I grew up with, Frank Hall Jr. and Jesse James Bolden. Um, they are on that wall. Their names are. I had made a promise to Frank's parents that when the wall was being considered being built that I would go. I did not make my first trip until 2012 because I didn't, I didn't want to remember. I didn't want, I, I just didn't want to. And in 2012, I hopped on my motorcycle by myself and rode to Washington, D.C. Um, the trip damn near killed me just because it was long and temp. You know, temps were like 95 and 100 degrees. And in D.C., it gets real humid. Um, And it was emotional. So when you go to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, they have, you're going past the Lincoln Monument and, and you walk, there's an outer ring. And I stood on that outer ring for probably an hour and a half before I could even approach the wall. And when you get there, it's, it's hallowed ground. It's a place to dump fears, to remember, 
And that's the reason why I wear this baseball cap just about every day. It's, it's to honor the over 58,000 men and women who are on that wall who can't. That's why. And then you recently went back. Tell I, me about that. I drove back. I, I was having a tough time due to an incident that had happened, and I, I, was, I was hell to live with. I, I wasn't sleeping. I was angry. I took hypervigilance to a whole new level. And I just decided that, for me, I'm going back to hallowed ground. Did you feel better because you went? Yes. Yeah, I did. Not right away. I just, I just standing there, again, I, I put it back to, at 67 years old, I'm able to feel. I'm able to express myself. I'm able to live life where a lot of people aren't. So I kind of adapted the attitude that I'm not only living for me, I'm living for them. To this day, if I see a soldier in uniform, I thank them for their service. And I think everybody in the United States should do the same thing. Looking back, do you think it was an ill-advised venture on the part of the United States? I'm not going to go so far as to say that. I still subscribe to the theory that as a soldier, uh, your job is to follow orders. And so in turning back and looking at it, I can't say that it was ill-advised. It was unpopular, that's for sure. A soldier is kind of used and thrown away, but I think that soldiers deserve a lot more than what they're getting. A lot more. Especially, you know, after World War II, all those veterans came home to the parades and... They did. And they were heroes. Yeah. They were heroes. How was it for your generation? Um, the opposite. Guys came home, and the minute they had an opportunity to change into civilian clothes, they would because of the blowback. They were spat on. They were called baby killers. They were called murderers. And it has only been within the last, I want to say, 10 to 12 years that the Vietnam vets are finally starting to receive some of the respect that they earned and died and fought for. Do you think it just took that long for the war to, I, I don't know, the pain and, and the sort of the the conflict of it to, to recede? I think it took that long for the American public to understand that as a soldier, um, you are under orders. You do as you're told. You know, the Marines, um, they will tell you, simplify, do or die. And, and yours, that old thing, yours is not the question why, yours is just a do or die. It's true. It took the American public that long to realize that, that, that the people that I fought with, uh, the people who fought before and after me, they're heroes. That was Ron Easton, who served in Vietnam in the 5th Battalion, 42nd Infantry. If the name Ron Easton sounds familiar, it may be because of his music. He's a vocalist and band leader specializing in Motown, soul, and rhythm and blues. 
The next episode don't mean nothing. That's not really true, but the podcast will talk about why don't mean nothing came to mean so much to troops during and after Vietnam. It don't mean nothing. It don't mean a damn thing. Veterans Voices Vietnam is produced by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with the Minnesota Humanities Center and support from the state of Minnesota. Online at ampers.org.